to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917-889-3675. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is Common Sense. Okay, can you hear me? Welcome to another misadventure here on Southern Sense, live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Lone Star Daily News, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook. Oh, the heck with it. I am so frustrated. I just got myself signed in and welcome aboard to my co-host going, I just, I just dodged the bullet here, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Good afternoon, Curtis. Do we have sound? Curtis, are you with me? Yes. Can you hear are me? Are we now? gonna have one of those days? Oh. Yeah, you are not mute you are un you are not unmuted. See, I was so focused oh, on other you... technical issues I forgot to unmute myself. <laughs> oh, this is this is gonna be one of those days. One of those <clears throat> freaking days. Now oh, since I have to reconnect, I tell you. Okay, I'm reconnected. <laughs> oh, man. We are going to have one of those days. I'm telling you that here right now. Um, you're here listening live. I mean, we've launched our new, brand new website, uh, which is southernsense.net. And it looks like that that is not being streamed to at this moment. So I've got to get a hold of the guy that rebuilt the website and to see what is going on. So if anyone's trying to get through to us on our webpage, it is now southernsense.net. The page is up, but we are not broadcasting to the page. And it's saying we're offline. But even if you go to the page, you can, um, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, tag us in uh, the chat room here. As a matter of fact, we're just signing into the chat room here. 
Uh, all right. So, oh, no, it's telling me I had the wrong password now. Let's try this. All right. We, we were a little behind on getting logged in. There was so much crap going on, and I said, can't. I'm just going to go. I'm going to sign in as a get. Well, no, let's go back. Let's sign in under Facebook, and uh, they'll find me there as my name, Andy Bellis. <clears throat> so it's lining into the chat room, so you can still listen on Blog Talk Radio and everything and join the chat room on my webpage because uh, right now it's the webpage and chat room is up on Substance on Facebook. Uh, I don't know if we're going to YouTube. Um, I couldn't care less personally at this point about YouTube. Yeah, I understand that. One problem oh, at a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, welcome to everyone. Yeah, we are going a little nuts here today, and I'm a little behind. I have to apologize. Um, I had been in D.C. Um, just a few days ago. Uh, I got back uh, on, th- on Wednesday. No, Thursday. What's today? Today's Friday? I got back. It was Friday, Tuesday yeah. how, and Wednesday. How I was did that gone. go? How did that go? Uh, it went It went very well. Killed myself. <laughs> Literally. Because, um, you know, I'm disabled and I shouldn't be doing a lot of walking. And that's precisely what I did. And uh, it, it really, I really did a number on myself when I did that. So, uh uh, my, I came home and, <laughs> but I understand the look on my face <laughs> was frightening, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely frightening. So uh, yeah, I, I barely could move yesterday morning. Finally, last night I was able to start moving around again. But it 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 was a lot of walking. Uh, but we did see oh, yeah. some senator offices and some congressional offices. Uh, we got our message through. I don't know if it's going to make you sure. anything, uh, but we'll see what happens here. So, uh, well, when I was up anyway. there in April, the buses they parked quite a distance from um, where you thought they would have parked, and we had to walk almost like a quarter of a mile just to get to the Capitol building. Then you got all those steps to climb around the Capitol, and then you go in, and then that's a maze of hallways and corridors. And I was sore myself because um, I got um, knee and hip problems. I was ready for a wheelchair or something by, by the time we got finished with that. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And we had to hit five different buildings. And you know the big park that stands between the, the buildings there? Um, mm-hmm. We had to go from one side to the other. And it's it was scheduled in such a manner that you'd have one building on one side of the park and then another one on the other side, then come back to this one, then go back to that one. And it was crazy. Uh, I mean, if you're a 20, 30, 40 year old person, that's one thing. Uh, But when you're older, like we are, um, it it, it really took a huge, huge, huge uh, toll on us. Wow. And you're talking about the national mall, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, back up. So, like yeah, I that's said, pretty wide. Just, yeah. So anyway, that's that's what we were doing. And uh I'm trying to I matter of fact I was so busy I wasn't even able to get um to the images in for our guest here yet. And I'm trying to do that as I'm talking to you, so just pardon me that I'm a little <laughs> But there's something very <laughs> important we gotta do today, Curtis. 
We've got a shout-out to give to some guys that have their birthday today, don't we? United States Marine Corps. Yes, their 248th anniversary birthday. Yep. 248 years ago. In two more years, it'll be 250th. And um, I got to say something. I was, yeah, I was at the 200th, 225th, 225th Marine Corps birthday ball. I had been to 12 of them in uh, over 12 years I had been going to them. So, yeah, Semper Fi Marines, Semper Fi, from the former wife of a Marine and a former Marine Corps (laughs) uh, bar club, uh, what do we call it, NCO club bartender. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, they'll they'll be celebrating today, they'll be celebrating tomorrow. I'll be right there with them. Yep. Yeah, yep, I was yep. just in. Um, we all will be. I was just. Yeah, I was just in um, Sebring, Florida. That's about hour, fifteen minutes below Orlando. And, mm-hmm. and maybe we can ask our guests about this. But the mood of some of the um, some of the conservatives there was um, one of um, really depression because of the elections um, that took place this week. And I had to let them know not to be discouraged. You know, this this is just one one battle in a long war, and we're not going to win mm-hmm. every battle. But um, to keep the faith, I mean, it, this is not time to say, "Well, we have to face reality." You know, that's almost like a defeatist mindset to me. Um, just just think of George Washington had a gave up on. Uh, the war, you know, against the British, what if Lincoln had given up on his war that he prosecuted against the South? Can you imagine what this country would be if these folks had just gave up because we didn't win the first battle or all of them? I always try to tell people, look at it like a series, like the World Series or the NBA. Sometimes you're going to play on their home court and they'll win. Sometimes you'll win on their home court and vice versa. But the series not over until there's a winner, and that's the mindset we have to adopt. Right. I believe. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And um, we're I'm looking at the time clock right now. We got ourselves a couple of really, really uh, get great guests coming on today. Uh, we have uh, Joseph. Um, I know I'm gonna mess up his last name. Glisser, yeah, I was looking at that too. Uh, he's got a, <laughs> <laughs> he wrote a book called the, Protect, the Practical MBA on Economics, What the Do and Don'ts Teach You at Business School. Um, he also has another book out that came out back in 2016 called Newspaper Boys Always Deliver. Uh, and he's in economics as well as uh, manufacturing and marketing uh, guru. Uh, We also have Colonel Russ Vernon, retired U.S. Army. He is the director of the National Purple Heart Honor Mission, and he'll be talking to us about the 2024 Purple Heart Patriot Project. Uh, It's a four-day mission that they're going to be on. So we've got to have ourselves some great guests, a lot to talk about, and a lot to do. Uh, But I have a special dedication for Veterans Day and – this is something, a recording I picked up off of the Internet, and uh, 
I threw some images behind it uh, because right now we still don't have full um, audio-visual forms working just right just yet. Uh, so um, let's, uh, let's get ourselves lined up here and giving our dedication out today to all of the brave men and women out there that serve in our military. We honor them and we thank them on this day, Veterans Day. And let me find the recording here and pull it up. And here we go. Sit back and enjoy. My name is Aaron White. I'm a Marine Corps veteran, lover of America, and all things that the flag stands for. Today, I'd like to talk about a few of the things that I love about the flag and also maybe answer a few of those questions that typically surround veteran holidays. So what is Veterans Day? Actually, Veterans Day started as what was called Armistice Day, when a temporary cessation of hostilities between the Allied nations and Germany went into effect on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month of 1918. It was technically regarded as the end of the war to end all wars. In 1954, the act that made Armistice Day a holiday was amended to strike the word armistice and put in the word veterans to include veterans of all wars. That same year, President Eisenhower issued the very first Veterans Day proclamation, which stated, in order to ensure the proper and widespread observance of this anniversary, all veterans, all veterans organizations, and the entire citizenry wish to join hands in the common purpose. So with that said, in layman's terms, Veterans Day is a celebration to honor America's heroes for their patriotism, love of country, and willingness to serve. As a Marine, I don't think it's a coincidence that the day set aside to honor all veterans falls the day after the Marine Corps birthday on November 10th, but I digress. One question we get a lot this time of year is what's the difference between Veterans Day and Memorial Day? The answer seems quite simple, but it can really go pretty deep. Memorial Day represents those that made the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. And I believe it demands the ultimate gratitude from the citizens of this nation. Veterans Day, on the other hand, is a happy day. It's a day to celebrate all of those who were willing to sacrifice, living or not. So please think about that the next time you say, Happy Memorial Day. To veterans, Memorial Day is not a happy day. It's a day to reflect and keep the memories alive of all of those heroes who didn't make it home. It is our way to ensure that those veterans who paid the ultimate sacrifice don't die a second death by being forgotten. In 2011, Carry the Load started as a way to restore the true meaning of Memorial Day. It quickly morphed into providing active ways to connect Americans to the sacrifices made daily by our veterans, our military, our first responders, and their families all across America. Now, through Carry the Load, we've also received another question. 
How do you really thank a veteran for their service? There are a lot of truly gracious Americans out there who will take the time to stop a veteran and say thank you for your service. And I promise we really appreciate that. Without speaking for everyone, though, what means the most to a veteran is the sincerity behind your words. So a few things I'd like you to think about the next time you go to thank a veteran. Have you ever stopped to think about what you're actually thanking them for or what you think their response should be? Are you thanking them because of the right to peacefully protest in a free country? Are you thanking them for the ability to send your children to private school if that's what you choose to do? Or is it more basic freedoms, like the ability to go to sleep at night without wondering if there'd be a mortar attack in your neighborhood? Are you saying thank you because you feel it's the right thing to do or because you truly feel it in your heart? Some say you could buy a veteran a coffee or Not all veterans like to talk about their service, but some do. So if you're truly interested, ask a veteran about their service. Let them tell you what it was like to serve. Really, the best way to thank a veteran is to do your part. Donate to a veteran-based charity. If you can't do that, volunteer. You know, an interesting statistic, if I were to ask you, the percentage of Americans who are willing to volunteer for anything, what do you think that number would be? Well, according to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, 25% is what that number is. That means one out of every four people is willing to take time out of their day to do something for others. Imagine the impact we could have on this country if we were able to change that number to three out of four we would change the world. So again, how can you truly thank a veteran? Do your part. Earn it. By now we've all seen that movie Saving Private Ryan. And at the very end of the movie, there's a scene where Captain Miller has Private Ryan lean in. And he says, earn this. Earn it. So what else can we do to earn it? How can we continue to earn one nation under God? indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Well, first, we teach our children to respect the flag and all she stands for. We teach them that the generations before us paid it forward with their blood, sweat, and tears. We teach them that America has given them the right to hold whatever opinion is in their heart, as long as they understand that that right was subsidized by the sacrifice of a group of men and women willing to fight for us. Second, many of our protectors survived battle, but they did not escape the atrocities of war. They need our help. They may not have made the ultimate sacrifice, but they certainly sacrificed for you and me, and their struggles are not over. Finally, we stand in solidarity with the families of the fallen, and honor the legacy of their loved ones by raising awareness to the fact that freedom is not free. Remember, for us, Memorial Day is one day a year. For those families, 
Memorial Day is 365 days a year. Okay, for this next part, let me be very clear. This is in no way a political conversation, and I'm not here to judge you on your beliefs or opinions. We have lived through a pretty tumultuous 2020, and I have just a few thoughts that belong to one Marine who lives in a free country. One of the hot-button items that we have faced in 2020 was the peaceful protest of kneeling for the national anthem. Now, as an American, whether you like it or not, one of, one of the things that we protected when we served was your right to a peaceful protest. So if that's what you want to do, do it. It's your right. Now, as a Marine, I can tell you that I don't particularly agree with that protest. I believe that heroes wear body armor and carry rifles, not shoulder pads or a baseball glove. But as a society, we have created the viewing of an athlete as a hero. And good for those athletes who were able to capitalize on that. It's not their fault. They have that forum because we gave it to them. And they are allowed to express their opinions. But in fact, there's a story behind standing for the national anthem. You know, there was a time on this soil that if a king were to walk in, we would have to kneel before him. When the Founding Fathers decided to stand for the National Anthem, that in itself was a protest. They never wanted anyone to kneel before the government. In the words of author Jane Cook, there are five reasons that we stand for the National Anthem. We stand for the flag today, not to please ourselves, but to honor those who paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. We stand for the flag not to focus on what divides us, but to focus on what unites us, which is being American. We stand for the flag not to pledge allegiance to a president, but to honor the reality that we have an elected president and not a lifetime king. We stand not because of present or past pain caused by injustice, but to salute the principle of justice. We stand for our flag, not for our generation, but to set an example for the next generation. You know, I'll leave you with this. I have a neighbor who is a veteran, and this neighbor has every tool known to man. He'll let you borrow any one of those tools under one condition, that you return it in as good or better condition than it was when you took it. You're probably wondering what this has to do with anything that I'm talking about today. If we're going to teach our next generation to respect the flag, respect America, respect our first responders, and understand that we live in the greatest country on earth, then we have to work together to leave this country in better condition than it was when we got here. Earlier I asked the question, why you thank a veteran, or what you think their response should be. And I can tell you my answer to your question, and the answer of many of the warriors that I know is this. Because you are worth it. You are worth fighting for. 
I have lived a blessed life. And in America, we all have some type of privilege. What I want you to remember is that privilege was earned by the sacrifices of those men and women who served this country. So what will you do to earn it? Thank you. Wow. Wow, that was just so powerful. I want to let everyone know that this dedication today is going out on this Veterans Day weekend, and happy birthday, United States Marine Corps, but to all men and women in our military from the birth of this nation through today and into our magnificent future. We also dedicate this show to the brave men and women that serve here at home as our first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. And with that, we dedicate this show with the song from Tiffany, Soul of a Nation. May God bless each and every one. Let it be said when we finish this race, we kept them free. We led with grace, let it be seen, from sea to shine and see, beautiful America, living our legacy.
Live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, iHeart, Amazon Music. Also, yes, we're up on Amazon Music and half a dozen other places. And, yes, we do have the video, Curtis, on my homepage, the new homepage, if anyone right. wants to take a look at it. It's southernsense.net. Southernsense.net. No more any hyphens, no more dot com. Simple southernsense.net. And it is up and running. Um, you know what happened? I forgot to click the little button to cause the video to start <laughs> on the players. Minor details. Annie, don't be such an idiot, right? <laughs> oh, man. It's going to be one of those days. Everything seemed to start off perfectly well. And, of course, then last minute we get all the snafus. And um, matter of fact, we're waiting for our guest to call in live. So I'm going to send his awaiting Joe to call. All right. Here we go. Let's see if he'll call up. It's probably him right now. Let's see if it is. And hand is raised, and welcome to Southern Sense. We are having one heck of a day today. I'm your hostess with the least most distant radio chickadee, Annie, along with my co-host, Crazy Curtis P.S. Bennett. Am I speaking to Joe? You are. Good afternoon, man. How are you doing today? All right. Now, I was trying not to mess up your last name uh, in the oh. introduction, and I'm going to say the last name is uh, Gulsarin? You're close. It's Gulsarian. Glycerin. Okay. Yeah, I yeah. said glycerin. Yeah, Well, I've got one of those last names everyone I've got one of those last names like you that everyone goes, um, um, um yeah, how yeah. do you pronounce this? 
Oh, no, it's Gullisarian. A couple of times you'll get it. You took a pretty good first shot at it. Are, are we on uh, right now or? Um, yes, we are. We are on live. Okay. We, we right. pull no punches. We go straight for the gullet. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was, I started the show off without, without remembering to start the video section of it. That's okay. No problem. We're not going on video today, I don't um, think. No? No, no, no. But what I do have is a slideshow of you and your two books, uh, which I'm posting up right now. Uh, your two books. The latest one is The Practical MBA on Economics, What the Do and Don't Teach. Or should be what they do and don't teach you at business school. Um, I got to tell you, um, I graduated my college with a, a, a degree in business administration. And um, I, I actually walked in there knowing more than the teacher did at a straight straight out of high school. How to make a sale, how to make the pitch, and what people wanted to buy and what they wanted to hear. And I'm amazed at what they. I was sitting in the airport, DC. Yes. I was down in D, up in DC, uh, uh-huh. Tuesday and Wednesday. I'm sitting in the airport waiting for my flight back down here to Savannah. And these the two women are sitting there, and they have all these loose leaves and everything else, and they're talking about statistics and this, doing these surveys and this and that, and this person didn't score high and everything else. And I'm listening to them, and I'm saying, I'm sorry. The best way to know whether or not you've got a salesperson is throw them out there and see what they can do. <laughs> Take your books and throw them out the window. I absolutely. Mean, am I right absolutely. or wrong? <laughs> I, I think you're absolutely right. And, like, you know, when I started my career – I did a lot of sales, and we did a lot of cold calling And uh, many, many years ago. But a couple of hundred years ago, I used to work for Lanier Harris. That's the American company. And, I mean, I called door after door after door after door, and it was really terms of endearment. And I, I just learned so much, you know, learned so much. And after a while, you know, you, if you're going to be in sales, you've got to learn how to deal with rejection. And um, it's not right. for everybody, yeah. you know, but if you're at the top of your game in that- sales – yeah. Well, I got to tell you, I did start in a boiler room like you, and I ended up managing one. And I was so good at it, they made me the customer representative. It was for Rapco Home Insulation. And I sat there in these li- in living rooms of people where the foam insulation blew out the whole wall. It's like, oh, this doesn't look so bad. We can fix it. Meanwhile, can I sell you? <laughs> uh, absolutely. Um, you know, now you kind of put me on a curveball there, and I'm – Editing the last four pages of my new book, and mm-hmm. uh, you, you might find it quite interesting. It's called The Practical MBA. On um, It's not The Practical MBA. It's actually The Gorilla Guide for Entrepreneurs. Um, and it's basically my you know everything I've learned throughout my career. Um, one of my university professors wrote, I believe, um, Gavin Kennedy. He wrote, You Can Negotiate Anything. It's the biggest negotiating book ever um, written. And um, everything from negotiations to framing your business to strategies for um, putting together uh, financing, so on and so forth, all the things I learned, including uh, my uh, favorite seven mentors. And I picked the 10 greatest entrepreneurs of all time. And uh, I'll give you a clue. I put one of them in there, but I'll give you a clue. But, um, mm. He electrified the world. Yeah. And, of course, Thomas Edison has <laughs> gee, to be in there. Gee, gee, I was going to say, didn't you have a little place upstate in New Jersey? I used to drive past all the time. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, he was in Yeah, I used to drive to the Edison Estates. My late, my ex-husband, uh, his family lived not too far from the Edison Estates up, up there. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I know where it is. Oh. oh, what a small world. 
And uh, yeah, away it goes. So that's where we're um, we're at right now. And there's a lot of stuff going on in the news. There's a lot of stuff going on in the economy. And there's lots of you know propaganda for um, people to listen to. And uh, you know what would be a day without propaganda? You know, it'd be like a day without orange juice. Yeah. You know? So. Uh, I well, actually, I don't you. drink a lot of orange juice, so. <laughs> you don't? Okay. Um, anyway, um, you recently wrote a great article in the Conservative Daily News, and unfortunately, when I printed it out, it didn't print the title. But you were talking about Biden, uh, Biden, Biden economics, or Bidenomics, or whatever you want to call it, or, or as I call it, Bidenflation. Um oh. And what has happened with this country since he took office? Now, the cost of child care alone has increased uh-huh. 2019, and you're looking at mortgage rates. Now, I just did a refi in my house just before everything went completely blown up, so I'm sitting pretty. But trying to buy a home today is, is absolutely horrendous. Uh, my neighbor across the street, she was lucky. She put it on the market within a week. It was sold because it was in a good price range in the market. Sure. But her son and daughter-in-law just put theirs on and the last month, and they've had one person looking because they're so out of the range. For a family to find a place to live, much less raise a child in today's economics, is, is, is breathtaking. It's, it's quite a challenge, and the uh, same story in Canada and the same story in Europe. Um, I, now, I, I've written some articles. I'm not sure I wrote that one. Um, but, it's credited um, to you. Is it credited to me? Oh my. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> I actually read it. <laughs> oh, did you? Okay. And um, so what I'm saying is, uh, you you want to go into the um, genesis of how all this happened, and it started with really money printing, and and they printed money. They inflated. Easing, they called it. <laughs> Yeah, quantitative easing. Remember the- and basically, um, in my book, I call it what it really is, and that is a, a well-rehearsed um, a Ponzi scheme, if you will. And the yep. Ponzi scheme did not happen just in one administration or two or three. Um, I'm not going to wind on about it, but it goes back to just, I, I would say, 1921 depression was the last natural recovery the United States ever saw from a recession and or a depression. Once FDR was there, and um, uh, you know we had Hoover, uh, they had this notion that they could interfere in the marketplace. And so, without a long speech there, what I will say, Anne, is this: that um, there is no easy way out out of this deficit. They're printing money. You've got people hooked on government, and you will be the phantom of the opera if you try and unhook them off government. And there's no mathematical possibility that I can see where you can pay back your $34 trillion plus you're in the whole minimum $70 trillion in legacy costs, in other words, pensions, so on and so forth, coming up over the next few years. And that's a conservative estimate. Let me put it into a number that people can realize. Between the $34 trillion right now on the insolvent treasury and an extra $60, $70 trillion minimum, on legacy costs, which I hope I clearly define, you're, it equates to near $1 million U.S. per American household. Wow. Wow. You know, I, I trace a lot of it. You, you, you were mentioning you know, the Depression and FDR and the Hoover and the Hoovervilles. 
Um, but I think another key play in this, which sent us into the spiral, we had a chance to recover, but the spiral was, I would say, Richard Nixon taking us off the gold standard. I think that was the, the nail in the coffin. Because now, what do you back your money with? Hope and not much change. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. That's yeah, you set one. yourself up for that one. I like that one. I've I, I read Nixon's books. He was he was quite an intellectual guy, uh, a gentleman. So, um, um, what you know, he was. I read his book about. It was called 1999, I believe. And uh, what I remember is that he was so anti-communist. Yet, yet, and this is not a critique. It's not a uh, statement. Yet, um, he came up with price and wage. Controls. He tried to create artificial demand. These are all things that you know FDR completely stumbled and was a failure on. He took a two, three-year deep recession, turned it into a depression that took, in the case of FDR, and I know I'm jumping two separate U.S. presidents. It, you know that took what uh, uh, 11, 12 years, and I think the Americans got involved in the war. What 1942, if I'm correct, Pearl Harbor. Unemployment 41. during the Great De- 41. My apologies. And in 41, so unemployment right up to 41 was at 14%. It went from 16 to 14 to 11 to 22. Once Pearl Harbor and the U.S. was involved in the war, unemployment went back down to close to 0% because all the troops were overseas fighting. And it was nothing that the government did that solved the Great Depression. It was a, it was a war that solved the Great Depression and, and at an incredible cost. But the U.S. was under huge huge deficit i have the number it's a few hundred billion by 1945 but the thing was back then the u.s had 80 percent of the world's gold and 50 percent of its gdp and they they if you will they relatively inflated themselves out of the deficit it's never been paid back but you know when your economy goes to multiple trillion dollars quarter you know 250 billion doesn't look like a lot of money but um, this Ponzi scheme will eventually come to an end, and when it does, um, it's not going to be pretty. And this week they had what they call, a, you know, they had a bond auction, and they had trouble selling the bonds, 100% of the U.S. 10-year, 20, 30-year treasuries, I believe, they're auctioning. And what that really means is they had to give higher interest rates for those bonds. Now, you asked me about the housing market. Well, I inflated, I, I, I printed money. I gave you 1% interest rates or even half a percent of interest rates. Forget about saving for the future. What are you saving? You're saving paper money. Basically, if you go to sleep at night, it's created by a government. And you inflated housing prices, fostered speculation, and now you've got these high housing prices, and you've got a generation of youth that's going to have trouble getting to the housing market. Where I live in the greater Toronto area, there's no homes, even though it's slowed down. It's very hard to find any home under a million dollars. You're, you're talking like, a, wow. a, 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 yeah, and, and you're just going to need a lot of work. Um, uh, but that's what they've done. Um, uh, I'm not a housing expert, um, but I do know enough um, that I can comment on it. So you've basically taken the future savings of your paying less for interest, built it into the current value of your homes. This is in my book. In other words... If you saved over 30 years $400,000 of interest on a 2% mortgage, that's built into the current value of your home. I hope that made sense. Yeah, no, 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 it makes perfect sense. You know, I'm thinking that, you know, 
the government has so many Ponzi schemes out there working, and people are relying on their promises. And one perfect example is Social Security. You know, they tell us that you must give us X amount of money out of your paycheck. We're going to hold it on to you. We're not going to pay you interest on that money we're holding on to you. And we promise when you reach a certain age that it'll be there for you because we want to make sure that you have something for your old age because you're too dumb and too stupid to do your own savings or financial planning so that you can plan for your future in your old age. So we feel we have to do that for you. And talk about a Ponzi scheme. Supposed to be a locked box, but there's no bottom on the box. It's been completely smashed. And come yeah. 10, 20 years from now, people will be retiring, and that money will not be there. And yet they've worked their whole lives, trusted government, to hold on to it and give it back to us. And yet yeah. they, the newspapers call it an entitlement. No, I'm entitled to get it back. You're not entitled to hold it. Right. And – and um I agree with you. I'm not sure, and I do agree with you. I'm not sure if a lot of people would have the discipline to put that money aside, and they'd be, I'm just concerned they'd waste it. But then again, I have to agree with you that government's going to waste it at a higher rate. In my opinion, when all is said and done, when ta- taxation to me is a form of societally accepted racketeering in support of a government and its associated parasitical class, and um, that's where mm-hmm. we're at right now. And, you know, you want to cut back on government. Um, you want to cut back on your deficit. You try. You know, it's a quagmire. You go one way or the other. Uh, if you cut back, you're going to say, you know, Anne runs for president and what have you. If you cut back, you, you know, you're, you're going to be called every ism in the book because you've got people hooked. <laughs> you've got them people. The government's got them hooked. And, 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 and you know, the, the prevalent thinking among the plebeians is back my – my services, this goes in Canada where I live, you cut, and same idea, you cut back my services. If you came up and said, listen, folks, I'm going to reduce your services by 60% and your taxation by 85% because, you know, basically it's, it's legalized kleptocracy. You try something like that, and, and you're going to be called the fascist, this, that, that, this. There'll be, you know, you'll be reading all the trolls on the Internet all day long, all the names they'll call you. And if I join you, they'll call me names, too. And we'll all have to hide somewhere. I don't know, maybe in a cement cave or something. I, I don't know where we're going to hide. But, um, uh, you know, in my book, in, in, in a very methodical way, um, and I get deep into the Great Depression, including um, FDR's Industrial Recovery Program, which was um, – a, a disaster, price fixing, a disaster. Everything he did, he confiscated gold, complete disaster. So basically, um, when I grew up, I really thought, you know what, government's there to help me. I'm not sure I believe in all the institutions anymore, um, generally no, speaking. No, absolutely not. I hate to say absolutely that. Not, absolutely not, absolutely not. No. I, right, well, I, I'm going to turn you on to a different subject that is oh, starting to become one of my favorites and one of yours um, artificial intelligence, AI, and robotics, this is coming into an extremely, extremely scary, scary area. And it brings me back to remembering when I read the book from um, Isaac Asimov, iRobot. And are we Why? there now? Are we now part of iRobot? Not only that, you combine 1984 with the, the, the government watching you and then with iRobot. Oh, my God. I, 
the artificial – we recently had that strike in Hollywood by the actors and screenwriters because right. of the artificial intelligence. Um, we've seen how now it's starting to influence campaign ads and other advertising you see on things like Facebook. So it's actually altering the way we behave because of the way they can manipulate us psychologically. It's scary. It's very scary. Um because they can automate content generation where AI can be used in large volumes of content, including texts, image, videos. Um, and so I can, I can generate all these things in a political environment. And um, all I have to do, if you want to move that uh, uh, narrative to the elections, and, you, you know, like elections, especially in America, is, is even more titillating than watching football. And um, uh, in summary there, uh, what you, what you can do is start creating all kinds of propaganda. Like I'm going to cut your programs. I can put ads out like that. Um, see which ads get the most um, uh, particular views on my algorithms. I can do targeted messaging. And you're seeing social media manipulation in war. Um, uh, you know, when we've got two wars going on right now, uh, there's they're both sides. Um, there's you know, there's all kinds of conflicting uh, narratives there, and. Um, you know, um, it, 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 it has a history, and, and the history of all this, you know, just moving to artificial intelligence and sitting on that, I'm going to give you a scenario with, I know programs that, we, you know, we could put together in 30 minutes, at top 60 minutes, um, a complete studio, and we can have avatars posing as humans, right? You know, perfect, you know, brushed hair, what have you. And we can start uh, turning around and saying, you know, um, you better call out the Calvary because um, some evil force is about to attack the United States, right? So, you know, then you can get people, you know, recruit them, put them in the military, made to measure outfits, and you can start fighting. Um, so um, they can do that, or any propaganda. I, I could create a fake studio. And, and you see, you, you, we're living in a, in a place where we're in a digital gulag, especially the youth. And, 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 and quite frankly, um, people middle-aged aren't doing much better. And, you know, they get their education on TikTok or YouTube shorts. Um, uh, a, a lot of the kids can't comprehend a 250-page book, you know, where you just sit down and read it and you become very schooled at it. Um, so, yeah. Um, so people will buy stuff. They don't, you know, they don't fact check. And I'm going to throw another thing at you. When we get to um, AI, and this is the scary part, um, you, you know, you're hearing the government saying we're going to pass legislation on artificial intelligence. First of all, we need to pass legislation on the corruption in government. And 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 these <laughs> these will be the last last people just in government general. And you know, I'm not going to. Uh, uh, politicize things, saying I like this party more than the other party. I'm, I'm not. I, that's just a, to me. That's just like to keep people's minds busy. I, and you, you know, I, of course, you can tell I'm a proponent of the free markets. But um, government oppressing people is a ten thousand year history since Mesopotamia, since the Romans, since the Greeks. Occasionally, had a break like um, uh, uh, Aurelius Marcus, if you will. And uh, Marcus Aurelius, I pronounced that wrong, and he was the last great emperor in the Roman Empire. But um, when you talk about oppression, may it be AI, when you talk about causing wars, when you talk about tyranny, when you talk about injustice, it all comes from government. 
Wolf can do that. Yeah. No, you and I couldn't get it on. You know, if I went, you and I went down the street and we started collecting money, trying to shake people down for fifty dollars a month, they'd call the cops on us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, it's called panhandling. I've arrested you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and just uh, finally, uh, it, when it comes to the fact checkers, if AI starts coming to level four, what I can do is you can have your AI that can uh, perhaps play the tune of the government, and I can have my AI that holds all these um, uh, pseudo-fact-checkers you see right now accountable and somehow reconciles with the truth. So then what they'll do is the government will say that my AI program, at, at one point, you know, if we go to level four and five, it can think for itself, they're going to say that it's misinformation. Now that we're on the topic of misinformation, that can only come from government. Like, if, if, without government, we can, you know, pardon me, we can cancel the word misinformation out of the dictionary. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've been a, a target of the social networks with misinformation. Uh, they've actually cut down, cut me out of YouTube at least twice. They've already given me the third. <laughs> Uh, uh, what do you call it, account that I set up. <laughs> they, huh? We've given you your first warning. Uh, just say the word COVID, and all of a sudden, you, all the fact checkers come out of the woodwork, and oh, how dare you? You're putting out the misinformation by simply even using the word COVID in your, in your program. So I'm sure they're going to turn around and say, well, this one we're going to give you another strike on, because here we go, COVID again. It's either that or China. Uh, but speaking of China, China's taken that up to a, a whole new uh, ball game with the AI they have where you walk past a billboard and it can look at your expressions and your attire and the manner in which you're working and determine uh, whether or not they're liking what you do. And they can look and track on what you're doing on your social networks and, hey, if they don't like it, next thing you know, your bank account is frozen. You can't go into certain places. You can't find yourself work. Uh, what how AI can be used is scary, but we can take it even a further step more because I was watching a video where the military uh, contractor, I believe it's called Spectrum AI, has developed programs where you no longer need a pilot. You have someone handling the artificial intelligence, the AI on the ground, and they can fly drones and planes. Then you just turn around and say, well, let's move this even a step further into the cartels using this. Uh, it's becoming a very scary world out there. It's very scary. And going back to, you know, I can assure you our intelligence agencies pretty well, you know, if, if we're dangerous, they know about us. Um, but um, going back to China for a moment, and I've traveled China because I do business there, and uh, and I've been there. I've traveled a fair bit of the world because, you know, I've, I run a consumer packaged goods business. Um, but um, that, that being said, there a lot of their systems in terms of the uh, uh, software systems were developed and used, purchased from Silicon Valley, right? Because, you know, why let ideology get in the way of making money? And second of all, their surveillance systems, the best in the world are the British, hands down. Their camera systems, they invoked a lot of that from, um, pardon me, from um, Britain and then from the West Coast of the United States. Now, uh, I've seen these surveillance systems, and not that I get social credit scores, but when I went two, three times for trade shows in Dubai, 
Um, I asked my buddy who worked there, I go, how do they know I'm not a good guy or a bad guy? He goes, they got flashes and cameras on you everywhere you go. They've already figured figured you out. They've got, because the, 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 I think the British set up a lot of that stuff in Dubai as well. So um, China borrowed our technology um, um, and uh, to use that stuff. And the thing about China is, even though we had sanctions on them for um, for basically computer ship chips, they are getting close to what they call four and three nanometer thin thin wafer computer chips, if you will, and that matches the levels they're at in Taiwan. Like Taiwan is the largest and the best, most refined technological computer chips ever uh, um, made in the world. I would say. Samsung in South Korea is close number two, and Intel used to be, you know, um, the king of the hill, but for the last eight, nine years, and that's in my book too, they decided instead of um, investing in factories, they turned around and they bought shares back so the uh, C-suite, in other words, the executives, get their bonuses. Then they're back out to the government, I think the current administration, saying we need money for a factory. They are behind the technology of Taiwan, and they're not good enough to make chips for Apple phones. So the whole story about Taiwan and China, and you know, I'm not going to get deep into it, but um, Taiwan has um, silicon chips, and silicon chips, in in many respects, are the oil that runs the world economies. We can't do nothing without that, and that's what I think that uh, sumo wrestling match is all about, um, in terms of that, because. Um, you know, they're they're both the same people in Taiwan and in China. But you know, as far as I know, they've got very good relations with each other. Let's see what happens there. But you know, um, in 1984, you know, Oceana always found new boogeyman, right? New boogeyman. And by the way, when I wrote this book, um, I read 1984 again. I hadn't read it since high school. And uh, wow, uh, this George Orwell was beyond genius level. The guy was just wow. Yeah. Knocked me out. Well, yeah. Joe. Joe, I wish I could have you on longer because I've got my next next guest already up in the studio. We've got to have you back because there's so much to talk about. And believe it or not, like you, you started off delivering newspapers. <laughs> so did I because my older brother had the route and he never could collect money. So he dragged me along. So they had this cute little girl standing there. And who's going to deny giving the little girl the paper money? I ended up with oh, the route. Oh, cute. That's beautiful. <laughs> so, so I'll tell you. I tell you, there's so much you and I have in common in so many ways, and I'd love to read your book. I didn't have a chance to. I'm going to have to delve into it and just have to have you come back because you are so wonderful to speak with. Oh, listen, thank you very much. I really enjoyed uh, being on your show, and um, I wish you uh, and your show um, and um, all that you do the finest uh, that uh, the world has to offer, and stay well, and uh, I'll look forward to chatting with you sometime soon. All right, and God bless for the hard work you do. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you very much. Cheers. Uh, Bye-bye. Uh, check out his book. It's called The Practical MBA on Economics, as well as his other book, The Newspaper Boys Always Deliver. want to welcome onto the show on this happy birthday, Marine Corps, 248th birthday, Urah, Semper Fi, uh, but he's Army, so they, so again, then we go switch over to that <laughs> hat and say happy Veterans Day to you, and welcome Colonel Russ Varon. Vernon. Am I getting this right or wrong? Thanks. 
Vernon. Yes. You got it right, Russ <laughs> Vernon. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm looking what my co-host t- typed in the studio, and the N was missing in Vernon. <laughs> so I was like, wait a minute. Now I'm looking back at my notes and saying, no, I'm right. <laughs> How are All you today, good. sir? I'm oh, super. Great. Oh, great. Well, you are now the director of the National Purple Heart Honor Mission, which people can find at uh, purpleheartmission.org. Tell us about this organization. Well, we were founded in 1997, and our mission was then and still is dedicated to paying tribute to our nation's combat wounded through special outreach and educational programs. We were the driving force behind the establishment and later the expansion of the National Purple Heart Hall of Honor, located just north of West in New York, um, near the site where General George Washington first awarded the badge of military merit in 1782. And that badge of military merit was the precursor to the modern-day Purple Heart, which was signed into law by President Hoover in 1932. And General MacArthur pinned the first Purple Hearts on the same ground that General Washington pinned the first badges of military merit. Um, And our organization, well, since the building and establishment of the museum in honor of Purple Heart recipients, we've continued um, forward and our our tribute event every year is our Triot Mission, which brings one Purple Heart recipient from each state uh, around the nation to New York for a week-long event that honors their service and sacrifice and allows us to tell their story to tell those stories all across America and especially in today's times um, where, where we have some divisions within the country it's important for everyone to understand that it's the soldiers sailor airmen and marines that have given us the freedoms that we enjoy today. It, it, it wasn't the politicians um, and others that gave us those freedoms. It's the people that when this nation called upon us, uh, served, and our Purple Heart recipients in particular uh, carry the scars of war with them every day. Some are visible, some are not. But it's important to honor them and to tell their stories, and that's what the National Purple Heart Honor Mission does day in, day out. Yeah, um, I was married to a Marine at one point. My father served in World War II. Both my grandfather served in World War I. Um, so I'm familiar with uh, military life and what these men and women sacrifice and even when I joined NYPD at that time, a lot of military men and women came from the military to join various police departments. You work side by side with them. Fantastic, wonderful people. But 
originally the Purple Heart, which was called the badge of uh, military merit that uh, Washington had put out there, um, was just based upon merit. And over the years, it then began to add into injury, uh, physical that you could see uh, injury. And because of the recent wars that we have where we're seeing traumatic brain injury, um, that has been now added to the Purple Heart. And I thank for every single man and woman out there that fought for that. But as you said, it's the hitting wounds that we can't see. And now we have the largest population in homelessness are that of military men and women. And it's amazing that now women are a large segment of that homeless population. And yet we take more money and effort into illegal immigration, housing them, feeding them, closing them, clothing them than we do to the men and women that fought for this nation. And I find that shameful. I agree with you. Um, you know, the, we really have an obligation to our citizens, but in particular, our veterans. You know, and like I said, when the nation needed them or called upon them, they raised their right hand, um, said we will follow the Constitution of the United States, will defend this country against enemies foreign and domestic. And they did that service, and now we're not taking care of them as we should. And, you know, um, PTSD is, is real. And a lot of the homelessness is from soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines that came back and have become lost. And we need, we need to help them. You know, if you're a young enlisted man or woman, you go into the service, and every second of every day is planned for you. And you're amongst a band of brothers. So you support each other, and you, you came from all different walks of life, um, big cities, small towns, different religions, ethnicities, but you, you worked as a team. All of a sudden, the day comes when you are discharged, and your day is no longer planned. You don't have that sense of teamwork back in the civilian world. Um, and we've got to figure out how to fix that. We've got to ensure every veteran has a sense of belonging when they transition back to civilian life. And we don't do a good job of that at all. And we spend a lot of money on other things when some of those monies have to go to transitioning veterans back home. Yeah, I've, I've done numerous, numerous shows dealing with veterans and veteran issues, including PTSD, the VA, the Veterans Affairs. Um, I am familiar uh, with a lot because I also belong to my local AMVETS. Um, but it's, it's we, the citizens here, have to be more proactive in making sure these men and women get the services and care that they need. Uh, we have a VA that some are working fantastically and others have a tremendous backlog, uh, make it really difficult for the veterans to get their care. 
recently the law says that if you're within, I think, so many miles of a VA, you can go to a local facility like the local hospital. Uh, thankfully, some of that has helped. They finally started to computerize records when they were being left in a building where the floors were starting to sag because of the weight of the paperwork. I mean, I can go on and on and on. I'm sure you can, too. Uh, but we still are not doing the proper things. And like I said, it angers me that we will give housing to these illegal aliens who many of them, we have no idea what the criminal background is, uh, rather than taking care of the men and women that fought and defended this nation. And it's, it's got to stop. And we must make our voices loud enough so that our elected officials hear us all the way up to the White House and tell them to stop this nonsense immediately and start looking out for our men and women. I mean, my co-host is a veteran. So, Curtis, this is affecting you also, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> okay. and, and Annie and Curtis, you know, um, what I would tell you is it's the the kids. The high, we got to start in high school and college and teach the younger generation, the next generation, that our freedoms came at a cost. And we need to appreciate our veterans. And I think today it's almost going back now to the way it was when the Vietnam vets came home. They weren't appreciated. In fact, they were treated horribly. But now, and and maybe it's our colleges and our institutions, how they're, you know, they're once again looking at soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines, not as great patriots or or valuing that they raise their hand willing to serve but in in many instances it's it's looked at as a negative and that has to change immediately and one of the things the honor mission does is we record the stories and make videos of all of our honorees and so those stories can be told and people can understand that their right to protest, their right to burn the flag um, is because of those that fought that we could all have the rights, that, that we enjoy being in this republic, being in this democracy. So I think uh, helping our veterans starts with understanding what it means to be a veteran and appreciate that there were those willing to fight for others and represent others. You know, there's unfortunately a attitude in our society of us versus them. And I think a lot of that stems back to the Vietnam era uh, where the vets coming home were called horrific, horrific names. Many of them took the uniforms off before they even got on the plane, so no one would know that they were military veterans. Um, but that attitude, unfortunately, still is prevalent in a segment of our society, which is highly shameful, highly, highly shameful. And no one is educating the kids in the schoolroom. We've got yeah, young men and women coming up, and they don't know anything about the military. 
Well, I'm, you know, I have a daughter that's an elementary school teacher, and just today she had a veteran come into her classroom, and actually the veteran spoke to the entire school, but she came back to me and said it was tremendous, and she said the greatest impact was actually on the other teachers. And the the other teacher says, "Well, I didn't know that. I didn't, I didn't know that's what these veterans went through when they served overseas." So I think we've just got to do a better job. And the veterans are part of this. I, as a veteran, we've got to be out there, be willing to talk to groups, share our stories. And you're right about the Vietnam veterans. Uh, you know, we had an honoree two years ago that was married for 18 years before he ever told his wife he served in Vietnam. He didn't want anyone to know. Um, and it's because of how he was treated when he came home. You know, the, a lot of the Vietnam vets, especially in the large cities, were told, don't wear your uniform home. You got to take it off. And then when they wanted to go to college, just like kind of today what's happening now in the Ivy League schools, um, they were they were ostracized. So we've just got to do a better a better job all around, and it takes leadership. Um, mm-hmm. And I think in our politics today, uh, in in our educational institutions. We don't have the leadership that looks at all of us as how do how do we all work together? And the and you know from the NYPD and and Curtis knows I know from our service that it's all about teamwork. Um, yeah. We wanted the person in the foxhole to the right or left to that we wanted to know they had our back. We could rely on each other. And we didn't care one bit whether they were black, white, Hispanic, whether they were Jewish, Muslim, Catholic, um, whether they were Kurd or Irish. We didn't care. We were a band of brothers that made sure we had each other's back always. And, and the military yeah. is actually a great example of how you can – you know, accomplish a mission working together. And and the only way you can do something great is doing it as a team. And that is so very important. And if you think of the history of the military, how it's gotten to be uh, such a uh, homogenous group of Americans, uh, where at one point there was there was no segregation in the Revolutionary War, but later on, there was segregation in the military after, and how we fought to bring back, which was under Truman, who turned around and made sure the military was then you know, desegregated, uh, and truly America was beginning to be united. Because it didn't matter, as you said, what your background was, what your color, race, or creed was. You were my 
combat buddy. You were my pal. You got my back. I got yours. You know, but we had the saying in in the in the law enforcement: blue is blue. Yeah, you know, it doesn't matter. We're there to get a job done. We're there to protect each other. We're there to help meet the mission, and nothing else mattered. And and we weren't so sensitive. You know, you you called each other's names. You, you had nicknames. You kidded. You joked. Today, you can't do any of that. Um, and that was part of unit cohesion and and the brotherhood and the bond. And you know that from the NYPD as well. You know, and we've got to get back to where we can have fun with each other, joke with each other, and work together in a common cause. And uh, one thing I, I like to tell you is actually today the honor mission is opening up nominations for next year's mission, which will be in September. And we hope that we'll get thousands of nominations across the country to bring our heroes to New York. It's an all-expenses week-long trip that's a trip of a lifetime for these heroes. And we select them not um, solely on their war service, but more importantly to us is what they've done since they've come home, how they continue to serve, help veterans or help their community. Um, and the great things they've done since they've come home. So we're we're well, excited. Well, what I was going to say is that if people want to know, some of those stories are on the PurpleHeartMission.org website. And I was reading one of them, uh, a soldier that was in uh, Texas, and how he found himself a family in the military. And once he got out, I believe he was a Vietnam veteran, uh, I'm trying to remember his last name. I'm going to say Menendez, but I may be wrong. Um, how he got out and continued to serve his community. And there's a lot of these men and women out there that are doing the same thing. And my neighbor right across the street, Air Force veteran, um, he lost his son who had been in the Marine Corps in Afghanistan in 2016. He's a gold star father. But yet he serves the community. He's a docent at the Marine Corps Depot here in Paris Island at the museum. He serves in his church. He serves at the AMVET along with his wife. And these are men and women that aren't being recognized because they continue to give and ask for nothing back. And what you do here is give something, even if it is for four days. You give something, but that's something that's so important to those individuals you're helping. But, Annie, you know, you just brought up something that's so important to us is the Gold Star families. They have sacrificed, continue to sacrifice. And our volunteers throughout this mission are Gold Star families who, who just are so proud of the service that their sons and daughters performed and you would they have every right to be bitter and angry but they they serve veterans every day and work hard to make veterans lives better 
And we can't do what we do without these Gold Star volunteers. And and they're amazing. Yeah, they are. That's those are the people that also gave all to have your child go before you. No parent ever wants to see that, and yet they're willing to serve in their child's place to continue the service to our nation and our communities. And that is a blessing that few people see or understand. And I am so glad that there is an organization such as the National Purple Heart Honor Mission. Uh, to do all this and to bring these stories forward. I'd love to see more and more of these veterans going into schools and and telling their stories, being invited to talk and say why they went. Um, I was watching one veteran, uh, I believe his name is J.P. Lake, uh, a double amputee, and how he continues to give and his trust in the country and in God that brought his life to full meaning. Uh, There are thousands upon thousands of them out there and at least someone has taken the time to recognize them and we need more and more people to recognize that and help those that are in need a homeless veteran should not should not exist should there should not be a single homeless veteran out there correct and we've got so much money to do silly stuff we it, it wouldn't be a lot of money to fix that problem and it's and you're right but that's where our um, state senators, our U.S. senators, our congressmen and women need to fight, and they they need to they need to appropriate the funds to take care of our vets. And hopefully, hopefully, as we get more and more veterans into Congress, which is happening every election cycle. There will be help on the way. Um, so I'm, 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 I'm confident. <laughs> I am too, because after World War II, the largest number of veterans ever to serve in our federal government, in Congress and the Senate, came from those men and women that came out of that service. Uh, and now we have this war on terror, and we need... We need them to step up again and to bring this nation the ship right. And if anyone can do it, these men and women can. Yes, and and there's more and more of them. So I do feel good that there's hope, and and we're a nation of hope and a nation of opportunity. You know, every once in a while, um, you have a cycle where things seem to be going sideways, but it always corrects itself. And, you know, I joined the military, actually, um, when President Carter was the president, and and we were, um, there was drug problems, there was a lot of issues. Morale was low, and then President Reagan came in and uh, made it cool to fly the American flag and stood up for our soldiers, was proud of the military, um, and and things changed. You know, it was, it was a great time to serve. And I love what I do because I, I don't have a Purple Heart because the knuckleheads that do um, probably got caught, at, caught where I didn't, but they always had my back, always took care of me. And, you know, 
you, a lot of the Purple Heart uh, recipients were wrong place, wrong time. But yeah. boy, that's the yeah. one medal. That's the one medal that any soldier that has is most proud of. And, you know, we say some gave all, but all gave some. Anyone that exactly. wears that. Well, we're down to our last few minutes here, Colonel, and thank you for the hard work you're doing, and your website is thepurpleheartmission.org. I have a friend of mine, he works with Concerned Veterans for America, and matter of fact, I've had him at my tea party meeting in the AMVETS uh, to let the other vets know that these services are out there for them to help them with their paperwork and anything else, and you are here helping to remember the Purple Heart recipients and give them honor and dignity, and thank you for the hard work you do. They can go to the website, purpleheartmission.org, and make a donation and find out what the events are. Maybe they can volunteer and help participate. That would be great, Annie. I really appreciate that. You know, we don't get any government funding. We're all – so everything we do is through private donation, and any any little amount certainly – helps us. So we appreciate you saying that. And I appreciate um, you and Curtis having me on. And Curtis, thank you for your service. And Annie, oh, thank, thank you. you've got a family of, of veterans. So thank, thank you for what your family has done for this nation. Oh, thank you, sir. You're going to make me cry in a second. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we, we wish you luck on this project, and we'll have you back to find out where you stand later on. How's that sound? I really appreciate that. Take care. All, All right, right. Take care, take and care. God bless. All right. God check bless. out Colonel Russ, Colonel Russ Vernon at <clears throat> the PurpleHeartMission.org. Uh, Curtis, that's all we got for today. We'll be back next week. We've got Mark Tapscott coming back with us. I didn't get a chance to Great. talk about going down to D.C. and what happened over there. Uh, I didn't I get a chance to meet Mark because he got caught up on an assignment, and I had to go one way. He had to go the other. But oh, uh, Hannah Davis that we had on the show many times from the Heritage Foundation, she now works for FairUSA.org, and I spent two lovely days down there speaking with her because she was part of the group that we were all working Great. with. What a lovely lady. It was a fun to meet Great. someone that I've only been talking to on the radio. Uh, but we Gosh. will be back uh, next week. Same bat time, same bat station. And look at this. I don't even have time to play our closing song. This show has go has gone so fast. We've had so much fun on it. But we're also going to be lining up other guests. I've got people coming out the wazoo saying, well, when can I come on? And I'm trying to slip them in because uh, we're limiting ourselves now to two guests per show. Uh, but they're coming out as fast and furious, but we'll get as many on here as we can, oh, yeah. as soon as we can. Plus, we're coming up into election season. We just had uh, last Tuesday, Election Day. Um, it was an off-season election, and I know that our people in their local elections had down-ballot issues, referendums that, and like in my county, passed with an amazingly large number of people voting for uh, spending more money by government which I wasn't happy to see. So uh, we got to work on uh, the upcoming uh, general elections and start to get people more involved in the off-season elections. But uh, that's my preach for now. 
<laughs> but that's all I got, Curtis. <laughs> well, that's all right, good, so you will be with us next week, right? Yes. Yes, I will. All right. And hopefully I won't come to the show late and get everything running in time and running the right way. Uh, the way it started is my fault. I have to apologize. But we'll be back, and uh, we'll have a lot of fun. Until then, good night, and God bless. <laughs>